So we thank you, Lord, that we have been called heavenward in Christ Jesus. We thank you that no one can snatch us from the Lord Jesus' hand. And so we ask, Lord, that we would know how we can cooperate with the upward pull of your Holy Spirit, how we can live our lives in a way that lives up to all that we have been given, and how we can um, avoid and defeat all the traps of the enemy. We ask you to open your truth to us and us to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you please sit down? And if you'd like to follow along in the Bibles as we continue to preach through uh, the epistle to the Philippians, uh, we're on page 1180 and uh, Philippians chapter 3. You were meant to have David here this morning, actually, but unfortunately he tested positive for COVID. So um, he's fine. Don't be sympathetic. (laughs) He's having a couple of days off. No, no, to be fair, he did actually have some, some cold symptoms, but he is pretty um, much okay. But yeah, do pray for him. But I, I suppose at the moment, we're all used to making changes at fairly short notice. And it got me just thinking, generally speaking, we resist change. And I think it's because we associate change with a sense of loss. Something's changing, that can't be good. But actually, change obviously can be positive, And there are lots of positive changes that we get to see and to enjoy. We get to see perhaps children or grandchildren grow up and become who God has made them to be. That that distinct uniqueness and personality begin to come forth. We plant flowers as seeds and then we get to see them grow up as plants and then to bloom. And there is that sense in change that there is anticipation. And for me, that's what this passage is all about. Um, often when this passage is preached, um, people talk about the, the, the bit where Paul talks about um, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead. The idea that we're kind of in the middle of a race and you're pressing in, going for the goal and for the prize. Or sometimes people talk about the citizenship that he mentions towards the end of the passage. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we really belong. And um, they'll often bring out the fact that Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony. Um, The people there had been awarded tracts of land as a result of good service to the empire. And so they were proud Romans and they wanted to be more Roman than the Romans were. Uh, Make sure that their their city had all the culture and all the trappings, all the marks of Rome. But I think just very simply, it's about this sense of anticipation, the fact that we're caught in the middle. And I think The idea that we can anticipate positive change is a very Christian thought because it's true of us as Christians. We are being changed. And that's what gives Paul strength to carry on, joy in his circumstances, unshakable faith and hope, even though he is writing this from a prison towards the end of his life. He is so convinced that he is in a process where God has taken hold of him and that this process is being worked out. He's so convinced of that that he has no regrets, no fears. He knows who he is, he knows whose he is, and he knows where he is in the process. And that that last thing, where he is in the process, is not insignificant. It's also important. Obviously, we want to know who we are and who we belong to, but we need to know where we are in that process because life is confusing. And we at this moment are in the midst of the process. We are caught in between. We are in the middle. 
Last week, I think it was Tom preaching, and he, he talked about that great passage of, you know, I want to know Christ and know the power of his resurrection. And, but actually where we are now is we are living in the tension, the now and the not yet. And so it's a truth in the Christian life that we need to avoid those who say that we have everything already or that we are already what God is intending for us to become or that we are already living the complete life of heaven. Paul has some really harsh words for them in his first letter to the Corinthians. There were super apostles that were basically saying, you know, we are already the thing that God is trying to produce. And the problem with that is that when you live like that, you, you, you don't realize that you still have a fleshly life that needs to be put to death and you'll end up being tripped up and fallen over. So we need to avoid those who say that we already have everything and we are already what we're meant to be. But equally, we need to avoid those who might want to say to us or Satan who might want to whisper into our ear that nothing has changed. The truth is we are not what we will be, but equally we are not what we once were. Christ has taken hold of us. No one can snatch us out of his hand. And this inexorable process of being transformed from one degree of glory to another continues as we live out our life with him. So for me, the whole Christian life is how do you live out life in the middle? How do you live out life in that tension of something that has happened that's decisive and definitive and yet something that's not yet fully complete? How do you respond to being in the middle? Well, Paul says this, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says, I know where I am and I'm straining forward to take hold of what I know God has for me. Now sometimes people are a little bit uncomfortable with that because they've been brought up in church and they've heard about grace and they understand that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, all that we get is given to us by God. We don't do anything to earn it or there's nothing we have in us that would mean us being deserving of it. And so sometimes when Paul talks about all this effort, they, they are a bit anxious about that. It seems to be contrary to what they've heard about grace. But the great writer, Dallas Willard, who left us a couple of years ago, said this, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. And then he said, you have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. In other words, there's nothing wrong with effort, but there can be something wrong with the attitude that says we have earned this. We are somehow deserving of what God has given to us. Our attitude should then be knowing that all that we have is from God by grace, as a gift. And our response should be effort 
action, to appropriate it and to enjoy all that it makes available. Now, Paul being Paul doesn't just leave this passage as it is. He doesn't leave us to work out for ourselves what this might mean in practice. He gives us some encouragement. He gives us some very specific advice. And he gives us some pointed counterexamples. And this is one of those passages that often we skip over because there are so many great passages in Philippians. But from verses 15 to the end of the chapter, he gives three significant points. The first thing is, given that we're in the middle, given that we are going to end up at the goal, what should we do? Well, the first thing Paul says is we should think clearly. All of us who are mature, and hopefully we all aspire to that, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. In other words, we should see ourselves as being in the middle and we should press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us. And more than that, he says, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So let's assume that we are all wanting to be mature. And in Ephesians 4, it says that we become mature by speaking the truth to each other in love. And the contrast is this. The contrast is being an infant. And uh, in Ephesians 4, Paul says an infant is somebody who is blown backwards and forwards by every wind of teaching and the cunning people with their deceitful scheming. So what he's saying is there is something about thinking clearly. Who is shaping your thinking? You know, what voices help you decide what's right and wrong? Who do you follow on social media? Or what, what do you read in the papers that shapes your world view? Does that lead you to Christ? Because there are many simply who will lead you to themselves who are trying to gain a following. Now, you, you should listen. The voice of the Holy Spirit inside you, the witness of the Spirit, will tell you that what Paul is saying is true, that you are in process, you are in the middle, you're not what you once were, you're not what you will be, but you reach forward for it. And the sign of thinking clearly, according to Paul, is that you live up to what you believe. That's what he says in verse 16. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. In other words, never go backwards. Always go forward in the Christian life. Do you know something of what it is to lay down your life? Lay it down more. Do you know how to love? Try to excel in it. Do you know how to serve? Try to serve more. Do you know how to, to live for Jesus? Always seek to do it more. That's what he's saying. Thinking clearly leading to straining forward. The second thing he, he says to us is watch closely. This is less about the voices but more about the examples. And in verse 17 he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. In other words, not just Paul, but also the other apostles, but also for us, those who live the Christian life and live it well. It's a wonderful thing, actually, isn't it, that even under all the pressures that Paul is under and all the hardship that he was experiencing, Paul could commend his own way of life to them as being consistent with that expected of a follower of Jesus. I've always been really challenged by that. I remember a line I heard once, I want to be someone that someone would want to be. And Paul lives that life because he's seeking to be like Jesus. 
others who have followed Paul and followed Jesus. They have lives that we would aspire to live. So watch them closely. That's what Paul's saying. And ask yourself, who is it that you are following? Whose examples are the examples that have or continue to shape your life? Choose well who you imitate. And this is where Paul puts in a very pointed challenge. Verse 18, for I have told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He doesn't mean those who are persecuting the church. He actually means some of those who are seeming to be inside the church. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. See, sadly, there are those who claim to be Christian, but whose lifestyle and whose motivations say otherwise. This isn't an idle phrase, by the way. When, when Paul says, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, he's not just saying, you know, a lot of people live as enemies of the name of Jesus. No, he specifically means enemies of all that the cross of Christ tells us about who God is and how we should live. The cross is where we're humbled. It's where we admit our sin. It's where we ask God to come in and take over. The cross is where we are saved because we don't have it in ourselves to save ourselves. The cross is where we are equal to everybody else and no better than anyone. The ground is level at the cross. And what Paul is saying, that these people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ, they're not been humbled. They think they're perfect. They promote themselves, they satisfy themselves, they excuse themselves and they live ultimately for now and for what they can get now rather than denying themselves which is what the cross is all about in the language of Jesus. Whose example are we following? So think clearly about the truth and how we're being shaped in our thinking. Watch closely the examples of those who are around you and choose who to follow. And then finally, Paul says, if we're going to be in the middle, but straining forward successfully to gain the price, remember your destination. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It's just an amazing description. It says that Jesus has the power to bring everything under control. Jesus has the power to restore and redeem the whole of creation. Jesus has the power to do all of that and that power is at work in you and me. So surely he can sort us out. Surely he can transform our lowly bodies and make it like his glorious body. Surely if he's taken hold of us and he has all of that power, we are going to get there and we are going to be like him. And Paul says this is what it means to have a citizenship in heaven. Um, it, it's interesting, isn't it, how tribal we are. I was just reflecting when, you know, when we were growing up, we're all so insecure. We try to answer all of those questions of, you know, who am I? Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? And uh, we might do that through the sports we play or the clubs we follow or the music we like or the, the passions or politics or causes that we embrace, you know. And I realize that it's not, it's not just a search 
for meaning. It's not just a search for friendship. It's, it's all about trying to establish an identity. You know, if you look back on yourself and you think, you know, I've got those old photos, you think, why was I dressed like that? And then you think, well, it's because everybody else was, wasn't it? It was the fashion. And why did I want to be like that? Because I wanted to be part of something bigger than myself. I want, you know, as a, as a little child, you don't really care. Because what you want to be is part of a family. You have to learn to be part of that group, and that's where you belong. But actually, as you grow up, you hit teenage years, you don't want to be part of a family anymore. You want to establish yourself independently because you sense that even being part of this little family, that this isn't the world. So you reach out into being part of something bigger because you know you've got a bigger identity than just, I am so-and-so's son, I am so-and-so's daughter. Sadly, some people never quite find the answer. But Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. That's my true home. That's where I find my identity. That's my purpose. That's my culture. That's my hope because Jesus will come back as a saviour from there. And so until then, I'm in the process. But the end is sure. How do we cooperate? Well, it's not just these three pieces of advice of thinking clearly and watching closely and considering where we're going. I think the process is what he was talking about at the end of the passage of last week. The process is dying and rising. So Tom ended last week with this scripture. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Well, we wouldn't, who wouldn't want to know that? But what's the process of knowing that? Well, Paul says, and to participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. How do we get to this new life? We die to the old one. The cross is not only the way in, the cross is the way on. We come to the cross. We don't live as enemies of the cross that think we're all good and we're all fine and it's all perfect and Therefore, we're better than everybody else. But no, we embrace the cross. We live as lovers of the cross. We die to ourselves so that we might rise to new life with Christ. It is his life in us. It's not the obliteration of our personality. No, it's actually the completion of our personality. It's the true you, the one you were always meant to be. You become more fully yourself as you die to yourself. That's the paradox. I've been thinking of this transformation in terms of um, those programs we used to have on television. You know, remember on a, on a Saturday night, the family would gather around, and usually on ITV because it was a bit lowbrow for the BBC. But there, was, there were programs about people who would say, tonight, Matthew, I am going to be Elvis Presley. You know, some D-list celebrity you vaguely recognise would, would then go off behind the screen and they would dress up as Elvis, they would come out and they would look like Elvis, and they would act like Elvis, and they would try and sing like Elvis, and God, you wish they sang like Elvis, but they didn't. You know, you would just long, I'd, could we just turn this off and turn on Elvis instead? And the problem is that when a tribute act tries its best, it's never quite the real thing. And of course, that is exactly the Christian life. You are not a tribute act to Jesus. You are not somebody who is trying their best to be like Jesus. You're really not. His life is in you. That's the difference. 
You know, that D-list celebrity did not have Elvis living in them. They were just trying hard and faking it. As a Christian, you do have Jesus living in you by the Holy Spirit. So your trying hard is just a letting the life of Jesus come out and a dying to all the rest of it. Be encouraged, as I shared earlier uh, a few weeks ago, Romans 8.29 says that if you're in Christ, you are destined, destined to be conformed to the image and the likeness of his son Jesus. He will transform our, glory, our lowly bodies and they will be like his glorious body. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have power to change all things and that you have power to change us. You have promised to change us. You are changing us. Help us to cooperate with this change, to die to ourselves and to rise to new life with you. To come to the cross not just for our salvation but for our sanctification. To come to the cross to be made new. Help us to think clearly about these things, to watch closely the good examples that are before us and to remember that we are to live as citizens of heaven even in this broken world. Lord, we thank you that you are going to get us to that place. Father God, send your Holy Spirit, strengthen us as we walk out the Christian life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.